0: Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukos of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. Few American institutions held up better during the COVID pandemic than Amazon. Its supply chain successfully accommodated a massive surge in demand and continued to provide products to hundreds of millions of customers. No wonder its stock price has almost doubled since March 2020. And yet, Amazon faces an uncertain future. Founder Jeff Bezos has stepped down as CEO, and policymakers have grown increasingly vocal about their desire to break up big tech companies like Amazon. So what's next for this online retailing giant? I'll be discussing that question today with Brad Stone. Brad is the Senior Executive Editor for Global Technology at Bloomberg News, as well as a writer for Bloomberg Businessweek. He's also the author of four books, the most recent being Amazon Unbound, Jeff Bezos, and the Invention of a Global Empire, released last May. Brad, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jim. I remember when Facebook, when Mark Zuckerberg testified before Congress. And one thing that really struck me, is that the people questioning him really did not understand how Facebook made money. And to me, it seems Facebook is a much simpler company than Amazon. And as you've been sort of doing interviews and I imagine podcasts uh, about the book, do you sense that people understand how Amazon works?
1: Hmm, that's a really good question. Um, they certainly understand how the oldest and maybe still the largest part of Amazon works, primarily because they're customers. I mean, that's something when you go to, you know, when you go to any city, but particularly Washington DC, uh, and you talk to regulators and legislators. You know, they understand Amazon in part because they interact with it every single day, probably like the rest of us. And so when you talk about the retail business, um, the third-party marketplace, maybe Alexa. Uh, definitely the the movies and, and uh, TV shows. I think there's an understanding, maybe not a full appreciation for the complexity as it pertains to things like Amazon Web Services and how it all fits together. But I think because Amazon, you know, it's known as a, st- a store, retail is its oldest business. There's an understanding there, um, you know, of, uh, of, of of a large part of what it does. Because I get the sense talking to people
0: and even people who... You know, are, are, you know, maybe they're regulators or they're staffers or they're, they have aspirations to both those positions here in Washington. I think they believe that Amazon would love to be able to own everything, mm-hmm. sell everything, that they're looking to destroy all those small businesses right. and right. take and, and glean data from them. Uh, what are they, are they right? <laughs> right <laughs> uh and and if not what you know what is that what is sort of the 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 the, the strategy of the bulk of amazon's business
1: Hmm. yeah i mean maybe you're right in that uh you know th- there are now critics on both sides of the aisle there's this rare bipartisan consensus against the big tech companies in particular amazon and yeah and often i think maybe they attribute uh, the the very worst motives to the company so let's just take a uh, The specific issue of uh, Amazon's private label business Mm -hmm. and whether, uh, you know, and how it gleans data from its third-party sellers to figure out what to sell, what to put under the Amazon Basics mantle. You know, I I think, like, to a certain extent, maybe I'm not so sure that they don't understand it. (laughs) You know, there's a political argument being made here. But the fact that most retailers have very large private label businesses, and of course they look broadly at what's selling to figure out what they should sell. And Amazon does it too. Um, they've kind of been caught with their hand in the cookie jar because they've proclaimed to have an internal policy against letting employees look at the data from third-party sellers. And as I recount in my book and others have as well, you know clearly employees have kind of vaulted over the wall. Um, so you know but but like when it comes to actual sort of policy uh you know that might prohibit amazon from uh from rolling out private label products you know like it's sort of unrealistic because then you have to consider costco and walmart and Walgreens and everyone else who does it so yeah i don't know i mean we're we're in the realm of the political argument and so there's not a lot of room for for nuance about how retail operates in general
0: one of my uh, favorite sort of writings uh, on Amazon is from the um, tech analyst Benedict Evans, who had a, a great blog post maybe a, a couple of years ago called Amazon is a boring retailer. And let me just read what he wrote about Amazon and get your thoughts. I sometimes think that if you could look in the safe behind Jeff Bezos's desk, instead of the sports almanac from Back to the Future, you'd find an encyclopedia of retail, maybe written in 1985. There would be Post-it notes on every page, and every one of those notes has been turned into a team or maybe a product. Amazon is so new and so dramatic in its speed and scale and aggression that we can easily forget how many of the things it's doing are actually very old. And we can forget how many of the slightly dusty incumbent retailers we all grew up with were also once radical, daring, piratical new businesses that made people angry with their new ideas. That's kind of kind of I guess also I'm getting at that people just don't have a good sense of the history of business, they may understand regulation um, and law, but they don't understand sort of the history of business and what maybe what Amazon's doing is very old they're just doing it way faster and way bigger.
1: Yes and no, right? I mean, in, in, in my first book about Amazon, The Everything Store, I do talk about how Bezos and his executives read the Sam Walton autobiography and took certain pieces from it. Um, and, and clearly, like, there, there's, they, they do utilize kind of best practices from, from retail. But, you know, there's so much about Amazon that is unique, right? It, the shelves are endless. The variety is potentially endless. Uh, the way in which there are all these pieces at Amazon that, you know, where the connections are very opaque, but they clearly reinforce themselves uh, each other. So, you know, the way in which retail operates on Amazon Web Services and ostensibly gets a pretty hefty discount for using Amazon's cloud infrastructure, which then turn around, turns around and sells to other uh, competitors, really, at a markup, uh, or the way in which you know amazon's alexa devices sit in people's homes uh, but with a back end on aws and integrate you know other kind of thriving pieces of the tech ecosystem like music streaming um you know surveillance cameras uh other things right i mean amazon is a is a collection of self-reinforcing parts all kind of adhering to the same business principles uh, but you know with these very opaque con- and fuzzy connections between them um, and, and then throwing off tremendous amounts of cash and allowing Amazon to invest in even new things. So I don't know I mean I think yes the manuals there but but Amazon's really pioneering new, new territory as well. Uh, now you
0: uh, you mentioned the the previous, the previous book the everything store and i I would recommend the listeners that uh, it, it makes a fantastic companion to Amazon unbound. can, can they can they buy that in, in, in a beautiful box set or something? Have you produced
1: that? unfortunately not uh maybe maybe one day jim um <laughs> but but you're right i mean it's it's a i i really felt like it was a little bit like Godfather one and Godfather two right I mean they're just you know they're they're two pieces of the same- the same epic story and uh i mean i I've
0: talked to a lot of authors and you get the sense that when they've written about something. You know, they don't want to you know, they may be forced to talk about it because they're they're promoting it, but they do not. They don't want to go back to it. They want that. They are just done with it. Um, But you apparently were not Amazon out. You're not Bezos out. You returned to it. What would you find so compelling about this story that you wanted to devote a whole lot of time to talking more about it and writing more
1: about it? Right. It was it was mostly I mean, I was very proud of the Everything Store and I was talking about Amazon a lot. I um, mean, just conversations like this one, and then kind of came to realize that it was all outdated, you know, that the company that I had written about in 2013 in the everything store was this, you know, was, was, it was a giant, was interesting, but it was a hundred billion dollar market cap, maybe 40 or 50,000 employees. You know, Bezos was interesting, but what certainly wasn't the most famous guy in business and it and that all shifted and the market cap zoomed to, you know, one and a half trillion and Bezos became the richest person in the world and kind of changed before our very eyes, Um, you know, physically, his personal life, the things that he was interested in. I mean, a lot of it when I started Amazon Unbound didn't, you know, I I certainly didn't know, um, you know, that he was going to retire as CEO or get divorced or you know, further commit to his private space company, Blue Origin. So it was just the the landscape was changing and I needed to update my history. And then really, as I started to work on it, was just kind of surprised by how good the story was.
0: Right. The uh, sort of the Jeff Bezos, who is depicted in the Everything Store. And it's I've written, you know, I've written, you know, quite a few blog posts uh, about the book. because I just think it's such a sort of an amazing story you know, a guy who could have had a uh, a fantastic career on Wall Street, sees an opportunity, ends up like, like in the basement of some st- other store in, in, in Seattle, packing books by hand, uh, you know, great, sort of a great entrepreneurial story. And and when people used to think about Jeff Bezos back then, you know, they, they you know, kind of the, you know, the, the great, the kind of the guffawing laugh, you know, really, you know, kind of a, a charming character. And now he's depicted as Lex Luthor. How did that happen?
1: <laughs> well, first of all, I don't know that I'm depicting him as Lex Luthor, but it is <laughs> sort of funny. Like, Fair. yeah, I have gotten that question. Like, is he an evil villain? And I mean, yeah, we have to di- uh, maybe disassociate or kind of generalize distaste for extraordinarily extraordinary wealth at a time of, you know, huge and worrying income inequality um, you know with the particulars of Bezos. I mean he obviously you know gets criticized and duly so in my book and elsewhere, you know for the for the, for Amazon's relationship with his, its employees, the, the corporate culture um you know some some of the the pressures that it's exerting on small businesses. but look, I mean I still feel like his intentions are good. I mean he's investing in, uh his in 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 opening space and his private space company blue origin because he feels like this is something that humanity will need generations from now and he wants to start it you know same as elon musk and um you know and, and amazon for all of its faults i don't think i would have written two books if i didn't generally believe you know that in the end it's brought a lot of conveniences to to our lives it's got a lot of things it needs to fix um, but it's also, you know, managed to innovate at scale and obviously was was a, a complete lifeline during the pandemic. So I don't I don't really think, you know, that it's it's, it's fair to, to call him a Lex Luthor type. I will say he he can do a fairly poor job of, you know, evangelizing for his own interests, like at the recent space launch when he sort of inadvertently thanked Amazon employees for paying for the whole thing. You know, he has a way, unlike Elon Musk, who manages to. You know to to use his charisma to spin his followers into fans bezos just has a much harder time doing that and as a result i think he's kind of easier to caricature
0: and it seems like that 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 character caricature which is obviously certainly a, a function of the uh, um you know the the size of the company and his wealth and concerns about inequality that it has caused to me kind of a, a kind of a revisionist reframing i sort of remember as amazon uh, probably during the period covered by the first book, uh, there was you know, there were, you know, there were for a long time, there were questions about whether this was really a viable business that they weren't making, that they weren't, you know, uh, recording profits. People sort of didn't understand that strategy. And then now we sort of look back at that strategy as, ah, uh, this is a predatory company that will, you know, it, that was not making money because it was undermining other companies and underpricing is, it's products, And that's kind of almost what that was part of what I guess maybe I was sort of stumbling to in the first question is that I think people just always sort of been befuddled by the business strategy of this company. Either they thought it sort of didn't make sense and then they thought it made sort of too much sense that, mm-hmm. it, that it represented this sort of intentional, like I said, predatory
1: approach uh, to business. Yeah, that's interesting. Um... You know, in my book, I've got this chapter that looks at how Amazon's developed the ad business. And and one of the one of the interesting anecdotes there is how is how Bezos really pushed back on his retail business using advertising money to, um, you know, to kind of uh, subsidize their unprofitability. And he wanted he wanted the retail business to stand on its own. Uh, and so in a, in a way, it runs counter to that narrative. I mean, the fact that Amazon has lost money in years and probably could be profitable, more, even more profitable than it is currently. I think that speaks more to Bezos and now Andy Jassy's interest in just funding new things. I don't even want to say innovation because that's obviously like, uh, that probably the word they would use. But for example, Amazon's gonna spend, I think $12 billion this year on uh, on Prime Video, so licensing TV shows and, and movies and making their own. I mean, this is this is where Amazon profits go to. It's it's the it's this expansion of zeal, um, new industries, new inventions, things like Alexa, whatever the new thing is that they're going to launch this year or in, in subsequent years. It's not really to to undercutting prices or pricing you know below competitors. Um, bezos wants those older businesses to stand on its own and, and and be profitable so it's a little bit more complex than you know amazon hides the ball to go undercut competitors
0: did jeff bezos think and his current management think that they have a pr problem certainly a lot of what you uh read about and i guess particularly uh at some point during the pandemic was is about they were previously it was about pay issues then it's about um life inside the, the 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 warehouse uh the you know uh uh you know drivers not getting bathroom breaks all that stuff and certainly there's a lot of media coverage but then you'll look at uh ratings with customers and brand ratings and they score very very high right do they think they have a problem or do they think they just uh it's just a, a you know business reporters and and the media and politicians like to attack it but with actual customers and regular people, they think Amazon's great.
1: Hmm. It's a good question. You know, I would point to, um, the last Bezos shareholder letter and some of the things that Andy Jassy has said recently, you know, where, where they've added, they've added a couple of leadership principles to their kind of 14 sacrosanct, you know, leadership values that they all study religiously. Um, and they talk about, you know, being more employee focused and also, um, you know, looking at some of the possible uh, ramifications for society and their actions. And that, to me, suggests a kind of receptiveness to the, to the criticism. So I don't think they're fully, you know, in their shells of denial, even if that's sometimes their public posture, that, OK, sure, you know, people are going to criticize us. They just don't understand. But I think the these recent changes and some of the recent rhetoric suggests that while, yeah, the halo might still be over their heads in these brand surveys, that some of the criticisms going to, you know, kind of accumulate and make people question whether they want to continue to support the company and click on the buy now button. So I do, I do think that maybe some of the attempts to be kind of friendlier, uh, a friendlier Amazon, is in response to a criticism that they do see as a bit of an existential problem.
0: Um, uh, you mentioned Elon Musk uh, earlier. Two very, very wealthy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but very mm-hmm. sort of different personalities. And I and I think about both of their uh, the space ambitions, where you have Musk talking about, you know, being on Mars and multiplanetary civilization, and then when I look at, uh, Bezos and Blue Origin and even the Blue Origin mission statement, it's very different. It's all it's it's all about, uh, it's kind of Earth. It's kind of about creating a space economy. It's about you know lowering its environmental footprint. It just seems far more sort of rooted uh I guess it seems almost more customer centric if you assume the customer is uh us humanity. It's just very any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's really funny because in the short term the companies are direct competitors. I mean, you know, put aside all the space tourism and suborbital flights we've seen over the past couple of weeks. Blue Origin is competing and trying to catch up with spacex for for contracts to send orbital rockets into space carrying commercial and government satellites and take astronauts to this to the space station and and ultimately to the moon and blue origin keeps losing those contracts and then protesting because new glenn the rocket is years away from fruition and spacex is has has a has a, uh, a a complete collection of functioning rockets, but the long-term goal is different, and it's like this different different vision attributed to the two CEOs. Musk thinks that to ensure humanity's survival, we need to need to be a multiplanetary species, so he right. wants to go to Mars and set up a colony there. And Bezos simply thinks, you know, you you, you might as well go to the North Pole; it's going to be much more pleasant than Mars. You can actually breathe the air, and instead, his long-term goal is to is to have huge space stations orbiting the earth uh comprised of material from the moon and harvesting the energy of the sun and that is humanity's future and it's just like these two science fiction geeks it's like they read different books and they have different visions
0: um one of the famous uh uh, scenes i'm not going to get it exactly right from citizen kane is where uh charles foster kane his accountant complains how much how much money he's losing with this newspaper he he owns. And he says, and he's told you're losing a million dollars a year. And Charles Foster Kane says, well, that pace, I can still be in 50 years. Does (laughs) does Jeff Bezos, is he sort of in this for the long run? And he may be behind now, but he's going to, he's going to keep putting resources. He'll do what he can. And this is like, this is his legacy. Oh,
1: boy. I mean, so, Jim, we're talking uh, during a week in which Bezos wrote an open letter to uh, the uh, NASA administrator, basically pledging two billion dollars of his own money to cover the development of a moon lander because NASA only had the funding to go and award SpaceX the contract. I mean, this guy is in it for the long term. And, you know, the, the question, I think, for people who are watching it is like, should that or could that money be deployed to more terrestrial philanthropic goals with a larger impact. But look, I mean, Bezos, this is his dream. He he gave his high school valedictorian speech about opening up the economy in space, and this is what he's going to do. And this is yes, this is his his in his remaining time on this planet. I expect him to be fully into into uh, Blue Origin and, and funding this. And look, he just basically put his own life on the line to take the maiden voyage, the maiden crewed voyage of of the suborbital rocket, uh, New Shepard. So I, I think he's fully in it.
0: Is he, as, is he as fully committed to the Washington Post?
1: I have no reason to think that he's not. I mean, right now he has put the Washington Post on firm footing. They've got a new editor. You know, my, my understanding is it's profitable um a great subscription business i guess my only question is would he ever consider that his work is quote unquote done there and move on but i have no reason to believe otherwise i I think that you know this is uh this has been successful for him to some extent it's probably burnished his image he appears to really love uh living in washington dc he's got a got a home there so yeah i think he's probably in that for the long term as well
0: uh, the book is called Amazon Unbound, but certainly here in Washington, uh, people see that as a problem. They believe it needs to be bound. Uh, do, do you think the company perceives a real sort of regulatory risk?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely a risk. I just think they they probably, they're realistic. They understand that uh, the, the the darts are aimed at them and that it will be coming from all sides, from Europe, from the FTC, from the state AGs, and from Congress um but i think they're ready for a fight and look i mean breaking up a company is um or even trying to reform a company is a multi-year effort uh you have a conservative conservative judiciary that just bounced back the ftc's lawsuit against facebook and i think it's really going to be difficult for for regulators to make a case That amazon has any kind of a monopoly considering Mm -hmm. that it competes in these really large diverse markets um, retail enterprise computing and so i think uh yeah in some ways they're ready for battle they realize it's it's going to be a challenge but they're probably sort of confident that that despite like the public rhetoric um that that they've got some advantages in the fight
0: will the new ceo andy jassy be someone that people know will he be out mm-hmm. there and uh, in a way that you know I'm not sure every, everybody knows Tim Cook CEO of Apple but he has a fairly high profile. Will Andy Jassy be of like a Tim Cook level CEO yeah. that uh, you know a lot of people know who that is?
1: I think so. I, I think I think um, you know the difference is that that Cook could emerge from the shadow of Steve Jobs because unfortunately Steve Jobs passed away whereas you know Bezos will be will be very much with us and you know I expect stories about Amazon will still you know feature at least some Bezos's smiling you know photo uh, or laughing photo, and and they're going to try to bring Jassy out. I mean, he he presents such a sort of humbler target, you know, because he he doesn't he he's not the wealthiest guy in the world, and he's he's very down to earth, and you know he's he's quite an elo- eloquent speaker, and he's got an ins- inspirational story starting at Amazon, almost at the very beginning. So I do think they'll try to introduce him to the world, and then the question will be, you know, how, uh, you know, how how. Um, how 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 will the media really be you know focused on jassy can we focus on jassy if bezos is still out and about giving space press conferences and dipping in to launch amazon products uh
0: I mentioned earlier about you combining everything store with Amazon. I'm bound to a box that perhaps you need that third volume. You need that trilogy. Uh, Do you think there's going to be a trilogy here? What do you think might be the themes in that trilogy?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, Jim, I'm still, you know, I'm in recovery now from, you know, barely getting through volume two. I suppose in 10 years, if the story is, is, is just as good as it's been and Bezos has, has carved a, a whole new chapter or the story of, of the regulatory regulatory pushback against Amazon and the other tech companies comes to some satisfying conclusion, yeah. I mean, I I, I would never rule it out, um, but you know, but but it's like just like I couldn't I couldn't have foreseen. I'm not smart enough to have foreseen what Amazon became after I published the Everything Store. It's hard to imagine where the story goes from here. But I'll I'll be watching it closely, just like everybody else.
0: All right, let's hope, so pencil in July. 2031 (laughs) back on this podcast (laughs) thank you Jim Brad thanks a lot